0: It's so good to be here with you. Uh, I was out last week. I was here. I was worshiping with you, but I was not here here. So it's really good to be here back on stage again. And we're starting a new series looking at this dude named Abraham. Can I call him a dude? A a guy named Abraham. So I don't know if for those of you who are new, visiting, or maybe you're watching online, you you don't really know me from anybody. Really, really quick. I can't go through my whole story. Obviously, it takes 41 years. But I will give you this little snippet. So in 2009, I um, I was working at a church in Colorado. I had been a campus. Pastor of a second campus they launched. It was an $18.5 a half million dollar second campus that launched with a thousand people. It was crazy, and all of a sudden, this church in Indiana, six months into that, calls me and says, "Would you consider come being our next lead pastor?" And I basically said, "No, there's just no way." And there's two major reasons why. Number one, the second campus thing and it's going really well, and I'm the campus pastor. I'm kind of responsible for it. And number two, uh, my wife and I at that point were unable to get pregnant. It had been uh, a long time. In 2000, I think it was 2004, we lost a baby. And, uh, and then we just weren't getting pregnant. So it was 2009, and we just still didn't have any kids. So we began the adoption process, lots of home studies and classes, things you have to do, paperwork and all this stuff. And I said, we're, we're, we're kind of in that for pretty good ways here. And so I, I appreciate it. I'm honored that you would even call, but I, it's just not the right thing at the right time. And so the thing is, I promised God that I would always pray about it. I told God, I told God a long time ago, I would never look for a job in ministry that if he ever wanted me to have a job, he would bring it to me, And uh, which is, I don't Recommend you do that, like especially if you have bills to pay or mouths to feed. But that would always keep me focused where I was. That I was never going to be out looking for a new ministry or new opportunity that God would have to tell me and then move heaven and earth to tell me. So, this is why you're stuck with me until forever. That's just how it goes. So, um, some of you are like, Yay! Anyway, so. In 2009, this church called and I told God. I said, the only way I would ever even talk to another church is if they called me. And so when they called, I'm like, okay, I gotta go talk to God. So I went up on the mountain in Colorado and I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. I got no leading from God that he was saying, do this. So I came back and said, no. I thought that was the end of the story. Fast forward now, I think it's a month. I can't remember exactly now. A a while has passed. And apparently the team, I think there were 11 of them, the team responsible, they were called the pursuit team, to find the next lead pastor for Kingsway, met one night to kind of look at their options. Who was left? They had this big list, people they've been watching, talking to interviewing praying about and and who was left who'd said no who did they remove and who was left and that night a couple of people said you know I really just feel like God's telling us we need to go back to Matt and actually just ask him to consider talking to us that's all we're not offering man they just talk to us and so they gathered together that night and they prayed and their prayer was simply this God we know you'll take care of his church because it's your church But God, would you speed up the adoption as assigned Matt to talk to us? Now, I know some of you have heard this story many times, but it's relevant for today. And so that night, I was up late playing video games with my friends. No kids. It was my day off the next day. So I stayed up well past what I thought I would. I was up to like 2 a.m. So when I come in the house at 2 a.m. and my wife had fallen asleep on the couch waiting for me, I thought I was in trouble. So this is relevant to the story. So anyway, we go upstairs. We're getting ready for bed. We climb up in bed. And my wife says to me, Matt... We're supposed to get a snowstorm tomorrow. She's a teacher. She says, would you go downstairs and get the phone in case they call to cancel school? I could just stay in bed and sleep. And I said, it's 2 a.m. And she gave me this dirty look, and I knew I needed to go downstairs and get the phone. (laughs) So I went downstairs, I got the phone, I brought it upstairs, set it next to my side of the bed, which is relevant because three and a half hours later, the phone rang and we thought it was the school calling to say she had no school that day. So I reached over, I picked up the phone, I said, hi. And then the other end of the line, it said, hi, Matt. I said, yes. They said, this is Ted. Now, I had just led a plumber named Ted back to the Lord. And I literally thought to myself, Ted, I'm gonna kill you if somebody isn't dying. (laughs) Like, this better be so important. It's 5.30 in the morning. I've only been asleep three hours because my fault. But anyway. So I answer the phone, and he says, no, it's Ted from Taiwan. I went, what? Wait a minute. I'm shaking my wife. We sit up in bed. And, and I say, well, how, how can you be calling us? See, a week ago, and actually two weeks before that, they had lost our paperwork. They didn't even have our paperwork. They kept, somehow it kept getting lost. It got lost in the mail, got lost in email. No matter what we did, it kept getting lost. They had 25 families who wanted to adopt, and they had five kids to place. And they said, we don't know why, but as we... We got these five children to place. Last night, we just had this feeling that you two should be one of the families. You got 25 people. You only have our paperwork yet. We're at the bottom of the list and you're going to put us in the top five? I said, yeah. Well, I got all excited and I started sending an email blast out and a text blast out to a whole bunch of people. And for some reason, reason I can't even explain today, except for it was God, I sent that very uh, contact. We got a son. Here, you know, here's this picture. And one of the people I sent it to was my contact on the pursuit team at Kingsway. And I don't know why I did it. I was just excited for him to see, look, we've been doing this adoption, and he and I have been talking, and I thought you'd want to celebrate. And he said, Matt, you need to call me. I know you're like on Cloud9 right now. You need to call me, and I didn't. And about a week later, you really need to call me, and I didn't. About a week, you really, really need to call me. I really need to tell you something. I finally got, him. I'm like, yeah, whatever. Okay, fine. I'd already said no, I'd moved on. And he said, Matt, the night before this happened, we were praying that God would speed up your adoption as a sign to talk to us. Will you at least consider it as a sign to talk to us? I'm fine. I'll talk to you. I didn't take the job. I'm just kidding. So anyway, um, (laughs) what's cool is that day when I got a picture, I sent it to my mom and my mom called. She goes, what are you going to name your son? I said, I have no idea. We had not got that far. And I said, Mom, this is just like Matthias in the Bible. See, in the Bible, there's a guy named Matthias, and they draw straws to figure out who's gonna replace um, Judas, who had killed himself. And I said, they put names in a hat. They literally drew them out. And she goes, well, what does Matthias mean? I "I don't know. You think I studied Greek in Bible college? I don't have a clue. I did, by the way. And anyway, so I went and looked it up, and Matthias in Greek is the same as Matthew, my name in English, and it means a gift from God. Fast forward six months, and uh, we were packing up everything we own and closing a 10-year chapter in Colorado to come to Kingsway to begin a new chapter. And I'm telling you this, I would never have done this had I not been convinced that God said go. And the reason that's important is because what we're going to do today is we're going to take a look at a man who his name is extremely significant, just like my son's name is to me. His story is extremely significant because every time God says go, he goes. But it doesn't always make sense. And I think it doesn't always make sense in ways that you and I can relate to. Let's take a look. Genesis chapter 12, chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram. Now just pause for a minute. Yes, the series is about Abraham. That's because God will later change His name and his wife's name. His wife's name is Sarai. We will change her name to Sarah. His name will go from Abram to Abraham. The names are so significant, just like my son's name. Maybe like your name. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now first thing is a few things to know. Number one, uh, where we are in Genesis chapter 12 is where after the creation story, we've already gotten to the flood. In case you don't know about that, when God sent the flood, it's not quite like the things, the knickknacks we hang on our wall with animals all happy and smiling, there in a boat. No, this was God's judgment for the evilness on the earth that had increased so greatly, it actually grieved the heart of God that he even created people in the first place. And so God decided to judge the world by wiping everybody out except for Noah and his family. But it's not too long after, the, after kind of things start over with Noah and his family that there's more sin on the earth again. And so what we find is we then get to a place called the Tower of Babel, and the Tower of Babel is God's judgment again. If you know the story, it's not that people could actually build a tower or a ziggurat that could actually get up to heaven. We know that now. We've taken rockets up there. God wasn't sitting outside the atmosphere going, oh, you found me. He was hide and seek. No. <laughs> <It was laughs> so what they were doing, what God was doing in the Tower of Babel is he was dividing the nations who had conspired together to have war against God. And in his love and mercy, he confused the languages to divide them that he might work things out all over the world so that they could no longer come together as one people to do that. So what we see then is by the time we get to Genesis, God has begun again then. It's a new epic. It's a new part of the story. The thing is it's all part of the same story. It's all heading towards Jesus, but he's starting over with one man to do something significant in him so that all of the world will be blessed. But here's the thing. Abram lives in a country that is extremely pagan. They do not know or worship the God of heaven. It's more likely than not, though it's not, I would say it's not completely clear in scripture, it's more likely than not, Abram is not a believer in God as the only God, a monotheistic kind of God situation. What we're looking at is a man who is probably pagan, worships many gods. but something happened. In fact, in verse one, it says, the Lord said to Abram. We don't even know how. Did it come in a dream or a vision? Did God come to him? Later in this chapter and throughout Abram's story, we will actually see God come to Abraham in person and talk to him. But in this situation, it just says, God said to him, well, how do we know? And what did he say? All we know is Abram told us it happened. He didn't give us anything more than that. What we know is Abram is 75 years old, and he has no kids. His wife is 65, and according to the text, she's barren. And yet, God tells him in these verses, I'm going to make you a great nation. In fact, later, he'll give more detail. You're going to be the father of so many you can't even count or begin to count them all. Let me ask you a question. What good are the promises of God when he asks you to take all the risks? Come on, if you've uh, at all thought about God and your story, didn't you ask that very question at some point? I mean, God has told Abram, I'm gonna bless you. You're gonna be the father of many. Oh, by the way, you're much older, your wife's much older, and you have no kids. Nevertheless, Abram, I want you to pack up everything you have. Leave your household. Leave the comfort of home with all the people you know and just go. Go where? I'll show you. And Abram, instead of saying (laughs) no, Abram says, okay. How exactly does he get to that place? Well, the Bible tells us consistently it's one thing. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8 says this. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. I think sometimes we don't understand that part of the story because here we are thousands of years later we've got the history we've read it before maybe we learned about it actually I learned about it both in college not Bible college I went to Kent State my first year they talked to me about Abraham and Moses as major world influencers in history and I learned about it in high school and in middle school so it's amazing this guy has literally influenced all of history whether you believe in Christianity or not whether you're even a Jew or not he's influenced the entire world and yet he took this step based simply off faith alone we know from this story later in this chapter and more of the story as we go. This guy is a good business owner. He's got employees. He's got lots of people that he has, it collected. There are people who work for him and work his land. He's got many livestock and other things. And he packs all of it up and goes to Canaan, the place that God would show him. It's roughly 400 miles south That's a long way to go and have no idea where you're going at 75 years old with no no plane or no car. In fact, Henry Morris says this, Such experiences are not unique to Abram, but are common to all those who seek to follow God's will. The promise often seems long and delayed, and the believer must simply continue following day by day, trusting God and knowing that his timing is always right. In the meantime, until the opening of the larger doors and the accomplishment of his specific and ultimate will in our lives, there are daily opportunities for service and witness where we are and in whatever circumstances. What Henry Morris is trying to say is, the reason most of us struggle with God is because God asks us to do things that take a really long time and really big faith to do. But have you ever noticed that God never gives an easy assignment to his people? Hey Noah, I want you to build a boat. It's gonna take you a few days to get it done. Hey David, I know you're used to overseeing some sheep but don't worry about it. You're gonna lead an entire nation. Hey Peter, Peter, Why don't you come on out of that boat and walk on the water? Hey, Paul, I know you've been killing Christians. I'm going to make you the most sought-after to-be-killed Christian there is in your day. Hey, Jesus, why don't you go all the way to the cross and offer your own life as a sacrifice? God never gives easy assignments. If you are coming to God, and I get it, some of you right now, you're, you're not even sure about God. You're like, great, let's just go ahead and scare you off at day one. God doesn't give easy assignments because if you don't need God to accomplish something, it wouldn't be called faith. Faith by nature requires trust. And faith is so much deeper than simple belief. It's not enough to simply believe. You know, It's not hard to look at science and go, okay, however I think we got to where we are today, something doesn't come from nothing. There has to be a something that began everything that we see today. It's not hard to get to that place, but God wants more than blind faith. God wants more than a simple tipping of the hat that says, yes, there's there's a guy up there, the man upstairs, you know, that higher being who made it all, whatever it is, so I'll show up on Christmas or Easter or Hanukkah or whatever it is. God wants a relationship. But the problem for Abram and the problem for me, and I'm guessing the problem for you, that said, he keeps asking me to take all the risks. Take a look. Genesis chapter 12, verse 4. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moran at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Why is this last little phrase even relevant? Why even put that in there? Well, a few things. Number one, if you read your Old Testament history, you'll find out the Canaanites are a constant thorn in the flesh to the people of God. They are no good. They are, they are not good people. They are evil people. Even in Abraham's story, and the story of his descendants, as you read forward, there's constant conflict with these Canaanites. But there's a problem, it's their land. They were their first, squatter's rights, right? Abram is going where God told him to go, but he shows up and everywhere he walks in this land that God has said is gonna be yours is already owned by somebody. What good are the promises of God when he keeps asking you to take all the risks? So God, you had me leave my home with my family where I was safe and secure and well-established. And you want me to go to a land you say is going to be mine but is already filled with a people who are deceiving and not kind? What good is your word to me? And I have a theory that most of us are somewhere on the same continuum of that question. It's the question we all have to resolve in order to come to faith in God. But I think a lot of us like Abraham. Abraham is what I would call an unbelieving believer. There are constant moments in his life where it shows he doesn't quite have the faith in God that we long for. He keeps taking matters back into his own hands. Keeps trying to take control over for himself because at the end of the day, he doesn't trust God to do all that God said he would do the way that God said he would do it. Or maybe the bigger problem is God didn't tell him how he would do it. I mean, right? Isn't that how you and I feel? God says to do something. And so you faithfully decide, yes, God, I'm going to go all in. I'm going to do this. But God didn't give you the blueprint. Okay, so at month one, we're going to do this. And six months in, we're going to do that. And 12 months, in, we're going to do this. And at 18 months, this is how it's going to work. So God just says, do it and I'll show up. And you go, and some of you are like twitching, even thinking about it. Like, I don't know. Like can't, can we, can't, somebody like put something on a piece of paper? Yeah, here's your thing on a piece of paper. Go. Where? The land I'll show you. When are you gonna show me? As you go. You're gonna be the father of many, but she's barren. Yeah, I'll take care of it. When? When I'm ready. Maybe it's better said when you're ready. I'm ready. No, you're not. When will I be ready? When you are. Can he give me more than that? You ever feel like this with your kids? Can I have dessert? No. Well, when can I have dessert? After dinner. When is that? When your mom is done. I'm done with dinner. No, you ate two bites. Keep eating. Well, how much more when I tell you? I mean, it sounds like that, right? So you get it. But at the same time, is this not hard? I mean, last year, over 500 Kingsway people signed up to go on a mission trip in 2018. I don't know the exact number, but I know over 500 people are not going on a mission trip in 2018. Some of you, just as you look deeper, didn't fit your schedule. Some of you started looking, and gosh, there was going to be a lot of sacrifice. There's going to be a lot of training and things you had to go to and figure out. There's going to be funds you had to raise or money you had to come up with. And so you let the still small voice of God be quieted in your heart out of fear. And I get it. I totally get it. I have wrestled and argued and complained and bickered with God so many times over his will in my life. This is not an admonishment. This is not a rebuke over anybody. It's just simply an encouragement to say, have you heard the voice of God? Because if you have, what are you going to do about it? Genesis chapter 12, verse 7. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring, I will give this land. Why is God saying that? I think he's reaffirming to Abraham. Abraham, I know you're anxious. I got this. So Abraham built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Let's just stop there for a second. Notice we're actually told this time, if you go back, that he actually appeared appeared to him this is in theological terms something we call a theophany a theophany this is where uh, God appears in human form to a person we actually studied this in all of December it's called the incarnation but see in the old testament this was normal for God to appear and I believe with all my heart for reasons if I had more time I will go into deeper maybe later that this is actually Jesus in the flesh appearing as God to man, and he comes to him, and he usually talks to him, and has a conversation with him, and does something specific with the person. We see this with Samuel, when God appears to him in the temple. We see this over and over and over again in scripture. That's why it shouldn't surprise us in John chapter one, when John tells us that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. What John is trying to build on, yes, Greek uh, philosophy stuff in their day, the word meant something, but bigger than that, biblically speaking, God appeared, and he spoke. What John is trying to get to in John chapter one is Jesus appeared, and he spoke, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Except for this time, he's not gonna show up and leave. He's gonna show up and be here. And eventually, when he does leave, he'll send the Holy Spirit so that he's literally always with you. Always. That's so why Jesus, the very last thing he says before he goes up into heaven is, and I am with you to the very end. Come back. Verse seven. To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. A L- little teaching for you today. In most of your English translations, I know it's true of the ESV, the ASB, the NIV. Uh, I'm not sure of all the translations out there. I think the KJV. Anytime you see the Lord capitalized, it means it's the name Yahweh. And I'm not sure why it's not capitalized on there. But the word Yahweh is used in the beginning of this passage. And it says, he called on the name of the Lord. The name of the Lord, we are told by God to Moses at the burning bush is Yahweh. And, and what happened was way back when we were translating into English, there's no J in Hebrew, there's no J in Greek either. And so it got transliterated, it kind of got confused into Jehovah. You may have heard that before, Jehovah Jireh. That'll come up later in the series. It's actually in Hebrew, the word Yahweh. It's really just four letters, the Y-H-W-H. There's no vowels in Hebrew, which may sound really confusing, but actually you don't even need vowels to pronounce a word. If you take all the vowels, out of a sentence, you could read it in English without the vowels. And that's how Hebrew worked. So we kind of think these are the vowels that go in there. You could Google it and learn all about it later. It's a fascinating thing to look about. However, what does it mean well, the best that we can come up with, if you go to the story of Moses at the burning bush, is Moses is being given a massive task by God. Remember, we talked about that. And God says, Moses, I want you to go back to your homeland. Go back to the place where you were afraid of and running from. And I want you to go toe to toe with the most powerful man on the earth and tell him that I have sent you and tell him to let go of all of his slaves. Yeah, that's going to go over well, Moses is thinking. So he says, well, when I go, who should I tell him sent me? And he says, you simply tell him Yahweh. And he's like, can you give me a little more than that, guy? like, well, I don't know what I'm doing here. God says Yahweh, because Yahweh means, the most literal translation we come up with is I am that I am. It's a little bit redundant. You could literally just take the that I am and just go with I am, I am. This is the name of God. In fact, if you go read your 10 commandments, I believe it's commandment number three, God says, do not take my name in vain. Do not make light of my name. It's not just a generic title, God, no, it's specifically his name, Yahweh. Don't use it flippantly. Don't abuse it. This is why in Jesus' day, the, the, the Pharisees and the religious teachers had made all these rules about what you could and couldn't do with the name Yahweh I Am. You literally, in fact, in some extreme circles, uh, you couldn't even say, hey, what are you doing today? I am cutting the grass. You literally couldn't even, in Hebrew, say that phrase. You had to find some way around it because you couldn't use the name of God flippantly, even though that's not at all what God meant. God meant simply don't defame it, don't abuse it, don't swear by it, don't just realize the power and the significance of it. Well, why is it powerful and significant? That God is, I am. Because what he's trying to get to is simply this. Nobody created me, I am. Nobody's more powerful than me, I am. Nobody has more resources than me, I am. Nobody's more loving than me, I am. Nobody's more present in your life than I am. See, the name has deep and profound significance. We don't know if Abram knew God by that name or the person who wrote Genesis, likely Moses, later was told on the mountain by God and was the one who wrote it. We don't know if Abram actually knew him by that name or what, but that's the name that's recorded when Abram's talking to him here. He is, I am. This is so important that when Jesus shows up, And he starts throwing around I am statements. Like he says things like, I am the bread of life, I am the good shepherd, I am the resurrection and the life, and anybody who believes in me, though he dies, will live. And when he starts saying these things, the people of his day knew exactly what Jesus was trying to get to. Jesus was dropping a little hints I'm not just a dude walking around, I'm God in the flesh. Nobody in his day would dare make those kinds of bold statements, but Jesus says, I am. And they knew because they picked up stones to kill him. This is blasphemy, they yelled. Jesus was trying to let you know, I am. When you see me, you see God, I am. I am. And this very God has led Abraham. To this land, and now look what happens in Genesis chapter 12. I believe it's verse 10. Might be verse 11. <laughs> now there was a famine in the land. What? God, you just told me to gather my wife, who's a little bit further along in years. All of my belongings, my people, it could be in the hundreds range. All of my cattle, we just moved 400 miles and there's a famine? You mean you couldn't have foreseen this one coming? Like, hey, let's just wait two years. April. I'm gonna do the same, but i will just wait because it's pretty bad there right now. So we're here and there's a terrible, a severe famine in the land. What, what good are the promises of God when he keeps asking you to take all the risks. Well, Abram is way too much like us. Remember, he's an unbelieving believer. What did God tell Abram? I'm going to bless you. You're going to be the father of many. I'm going to put you in a land. It's going to be your inheritance. Everybody who blesses you will be blessed. Everybody who curses you will be cursed. Abram, I got this. I'm with you. You could trust me. So much so that what does Abram do? He gathers up everything and he goes to Egypt. Doesn't sound like Abram's real convinced of it. Well, you can't blame the guy. There's no food, right? I mean, you gotta put food on the table. I, I, okay, I see this all the time. Let me just make an application from Abram's story to your story to my story. I've had a number of people since our generosity series and our generosity series in November, they were convicted, convicted that God had told them to be generous. And so they started, and then shortly after, they lost their job, went through financial crisis, whatever it is. And some of them come up to me and say, what do I do? And I, I don't think there's an easy answer. I'm not saying there's a cookie-cutter answer. The easy answer is simply, do you trust God, pray about it, and do whatever he tells you to do? And you're like, well, how do I know if he tells you? You'll know. You'll be so convicted that it's the right thing to do. You'll do it. But see, Abram, like many of us, he's not real sure God's going to show up. So he does what everybody does in this situation. God, thank you for the plan. I like this big picture here, the thing you got going on for my life. Okay, so I'm gonna manage it from here, all right? And when you're ready to do your thing, you do your thing, and God's going, see, this is what I gotta get you to let go of, Abram. If you know Abraham's story, this is exactly what God's trying to get him to let go of. Abraham, I don't need you to manage this. I don't need you to control it. I don't need you to understand all the outcomes of how it's gonna unfold next. I need you to do one thing and one thing only. Trust me. But Abram doesn't. Abram takes everything and he goes to Egypt. Now there's something I want you to know. Two things. There's two really important things and if I don't make them crystal clear, you're gonna walk out with a bad understanding of who God is. Thing number one God will not leave you or forsake you. He loves you. So even in your bad decisions, even in your mistakes, even in your sin, your heavenly Father can work all things together for the good of those who love him. Romans chapter eight, verse 28. And he does. The other side of that is, though, Every decision we make has a consequence. Every decision we make has an impact. And so while God can bring good from life, that doesn't mean that decisions in life don't have pain attached to them. Let me show it to you in the text so you don't think I'm just making stuff up off the top of my head. It's usually not off the top of my head. I thought it up before I got here. But Genesis chapter 12, I said usually. Verse 11 As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. Isn't that what every 65-year-old woman wants to hear from their husband? That's amazing. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his smoking hot wife. It's in the Hebrew. Then, just making sure you're paying attention. Then they will kill me, but let you live. Say you are my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. What? What? What woman has not longed for a man just like Abram in their life? Here's what we're going to do, honey. See, it's common in that day for Pharaoh to be able to take any woman he wants for himself. And he could literally kill a woman's husband to get her. And there was nothing you could do about it, right? So because of a famine, Abram tries to provide for his family and he runs and he's about to give away his wife. I'm, I don't know if this is a one-night stand or I don't know what, it, what this is exactly, but does this sound like a man who believes that God has said, I'm going to open her womb and give her children through you? Does this sound like a man who believes that whoever blesses you, I'll bless, and whoever curses you, I'll curse? Or does this sound like an unbelieving believer? Or does this sound like you? Because I know what sounds like me. There are times, there are times that I know I've heard the voice of God, and it's hard, it's scary, it's frightening, it's terrifying. But the question we all must ask, we all must answer is Is God good? And if He is, then I can trust Him. Let's take a look at what happens next Genesis chapter 12, verse 14. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarai was a very beautiful woman. Told you. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for her sake, and Abram acquired sheep, cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. God literally blessed him in his sin. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me? He said, why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? So that I took her to be my wife. Now then, here's your wife. Take her and go. Get out of here. A couple things. Remember, are two things. Remember these two things. Number one, God is with Abram, right? Abram's going to go from being in a land where there's severe famine. He may have even lost some animals in the journey. He goes to Egypt and he ends up with more than he went with. And his wife didn't get violated, even though he asked her to accept that as an option. Instead, he gets off scot clean and he leaves and he goes back to where he's supposed to be in the first place. Now, if you were to have only that first point in your mind, you would say, then it really doesn't matter what I do. (laughs) My my actions have literally no negative bearing. In fact, if I start sinning, God might start blessing me. This would be the the, the difference between what I call prescription and description. The Bible describing an event does not mean the Bible's prescribing the event for you. Just because David committed adultery and remained king doesn't mean you should go commit adultery. There's not a one-to-one causation correlation here. What you do need to know is the second thing is true. Abram's decision has profound impact in his family and in our world today. Did you know that? There's only one chapter in the entire book of Genesis dedicated to his son Isaac. I believe it's chapter. Ah, I want to say it's chapter 24. It might be 22, 26. It might be 23, 25. I have no idea. It's in that range. How's that? Every other time Isaac is mentioned in Genesis, he's mentioned either in Abraham's story or he's mentioned in Jacob's story. There's only one chapter he gets dedicated to himself and he and his wife go to a land where there's a foreign king and guess what Isaac does to his wife? He offers her and asks her to lie and say she's his sister. Where in the world did he learn it? He's not even created it. He doesn't even show up on the scene for another couple decades. Well, one thing we believe, because it happens later in Abram's story, is Abraham is a deceiver. Abraham is really good at taking partial truths and putting them out there in order to control and manipulate the situation because he doesn't fully trust God to do it for him. So he better do it. And oh, by the way, should it surprise us then that his grandson Jacob is called a Deceiver. This is what we call generational sin patterns. The sins of the fathers will be visited on the sons, the Bible says. But bigger than that, I don't know if you know this, but both the Arab nations and the Jews claim Abraham as their father. See, later in the story, because Abram continues to struggle with keeping his faith and holding on to the promises of God, he takes matters into his own hands at his wife's blessing and permission, and he ends up having a child with Sarai's maidservant, And God, because he's faithful, he blesses even that child, Ishmael, and an entire nation is born. Did you know that? How many wars, death, murders, killings, suicide bombers have been birthed because of Abraham's decision not to trust God? Was God with Abram? Oh, yeah. Did God bless Abram? Oh, yeah. Was God patient with Abram? You bet. But Abram's decisions still carry consequences today, thousands of years later. And the same is true for you and for me. See, the hard part in all of this is really that question I've been asking: what what good, what good are the promises of God when He keeps asking you and me to take all of the risks? This is my family, this is my future, this is my inheritance, this is my life, God. And the answer is simply this. Very good. Even when it doesn't feel like it, even when you're not sure how it's gonna work out, the promises of God are very good. You can trust them. In fact, in Romans chapter four, verse three, Paul tells us this. What does scripture say? Scriptures say Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. What Paul is trying to get to, what Paul is trying to say is simply this. Though Abraham wasn't perfect in all he did, he was credited before God as righteous because he trusted God. So even his sins and his failures and his mistakes were overlooked by God because of his faith in God. So let's make this really practical for a minute. Can you trust the great I am to be all that you need him to be? I don't know if you know this, but in English, you can actually translate I am that I am into to be. Actually, you don't even need to say to be, you could just say be. You could literally pray later and say, be, I just need to talk to you today. You may, you might, you might, you might feel really funny doing that. The thing is, God is actively engaged and participating in your everyday life experiences. God, I'm tired. And I don't know if I could keep fighting for my marriage anymore. Where am I gonna find the strength to keep going? I am. God, I just can't seem to make these ends meet. I'm just financially strong. I want to be generous and do more, but God, I, I, it just doesn't seem to work. How? Where is the money going to come from? I am. God, I don't feel like I'm smart enough to do this thing you've asked me to do. I am. God, I don't have enough courage. I am. God, I feel so lonely. When are you going to bring her into my life? I am. God, he hurt me. And I feel violated and abused. Who's ever going to love me again again? I am and the more that you find you're able to rest in the arms of the great I am the more you will find his promises are good don't get me wrong it will probably take a long time for him to complete in you all that he's completing in you it took decades for God to lead Abraham where he needed him to be decades don't be surprised If the great I am is working on your behalf, but it requires an unbelievable amount of faith. I love the way C.S. Lewis says this. Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right. He's stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you're not really surprised. Uh, But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace. One, he intends to come and live at it, it himself. That's exactly what God is doing in you and in me and in the whole world. Will you choose today to let him do it? Here's where I want to end. Uh, our communion service can go out. We're going to go right into communion with I am. I'm going to encourage you to really engage him in that way uh, Yahweh, I am. Jehovah, if you prefer that. And then lay out whatever it is that's going on in your life, your heart, your family, those you love or know. Where do you need him to show up and be for you, with you, in you? What is it you need him to do? And even if you ask the wrong thing, don't worry about it. God will always give you what you need and not necessarily what you ask for because he's a perfect heavenly father. And if you are visiting with us today, we just wanna let you know we want to introduce you to Jesus. And if you have questions, maybe like the young man who got baptized today, like the 37 other people who were baptized during our Christmas Eve services, we just wanna say, if you have questions, wanna know more about becoming one with Christ, man, I tell you what, why don't you come to my left, your right, and just meet us over there. We'd love to talk to you about him. Let's pray, and then I'll hand it to you. Father in heaven, Yahweh, Would you calm our anxious thoughts, our fears, anxieties, our worries, our concerns, our stresses? All of our dreams about being significant, all of our fears about meeting our needs. God, would you just help us to take a deep breath right now and just simply rest in you? You are good. You are faithful and your love endures forever. You will not leave us. You will not forsake us. You will not abandon us. You are not gonna quit on us. You are working all things together for our good because we love you. But God, sometimes it's hard in the waiting and it takes time and it's painful. So God, in the waiting, would you change us, transform us into the likeness of your son. Don't leave us the way you found us. And God, on those days when we're becoming unbelieving believers like Abraham, would you whisper a word of encouragement or rebuke, whichever one we need most, to put us back on course for you. We love you. In Jesus' name.